Hello friends, how are you all? Hope you're doing well. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. It's been quite a pleasant week for myself. I turned 30 on Thursday, so the dirty 30s can begin. And we were celebrating, you know, as much as people can celebrate in these times. Had a uh, good old Zoom conference video hangout thingy with with some friends in the evening. And um, on Saturday, we ventured down to my parents' house for a joint 30th slash Mother's Day shindig uh, with the family. And it was great to actually get out of the house and go and see people again you know, because it's been about six weeks of just looking at human beings through a laptop screen, if at all. Um, And, of course, today's the day they announced that there's going to be even more restrictions eased in WA. Indoor outdoor gatherings are going to be expanded to 20 people and, you know, other things are going on. It seems we're just turning more and more corners in the journey back to normal, whatever normal is. I uh, thought it would be quite fitting to interview my mum on this week's podcast. So um, on Saturday, we had a a late lunch with the family in the back room of my parents' house, uh, which many years ago, dad converted into a old English pub. And mum and I sat up at the bar, had a few wines and a good old chin wag. Also, last week on the show, I did mention that there's going to be new music from my side project, Indoor Fins, coming out very soon. And that is happening on this coming Friday, May 15th. Um, There's going to be a new single called Energy. And if you stick around till the very end of this episode, I'm going to give you a sneak peek of that song. But without further ado, here she is, this week's guest, Jenny Wren. Jenny Wren. Janice Nelson slash mum. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> We've just finished a wonderful uh, late lunch in a sort of a cross between birthday celebrations for me and, and a Mother's mama. Day yes. celebrations yes. for you. And we've kicked everyone out of the back room so we can hear distant murmurings. Yeah, you can the, hear the rabble. You can hear the rabble. Um, I wanted it to do it in, in here, which is, for people listening, the back room of our home, yeah. which Dad sort of turned into a replica of the English pub that was the theme of your mother and father's house. That's right. Could you just elaborate on Well, because my, my parents and I came from England and, and Dad built this bar and he called it the Trafalgar Bar because we come from Gosport, which is just over the harbour from Portsmouth, where Lord Nelson's victory, the ship, the victory, is in dry dock. So we called this the Lord Nelson for many reasons, one of which that was the name of the family. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yes, so it's, um, it's dedicated to the victory. It's also the Muso Bar. So what, what do you remember of your childhood in, in England? In England? Oh, well, I've hung up on to those memories because it was very, a very sad time to come because... What year was it? It was, 90, it was at the end of 1963 and it was all happening in England, you know. The Beatles had just come out. Music <laughs> was just great. And leaving that behind was just... Oh, it's heartbreaking. And to make, to make matters worse, when I got here, everybody said... You know, only every second person had ever heard of the Beatles and they all said, oh, you wait till Saturday, you'll see Johnny O'Keefe. He's got a TV show. Oh, it's great. So I'm thinking, oh, good, I'm looking forward to this. And I watched him and I heard him and and that was it. I thought, what the hell have I come to? And uh, I wanted to go home. <laughs> very sad, very sad. <laughs> So is that a big aspect of your childhood in England that you remember was your your, uh, infatuation with the Beatles? Well, no, because that really only started at the end of, well, probably the beginning of 63, really. Uh, Before that, I mean, I remember everything, you know, going to school and I had all my friends there and what do I remember? But I always remember from, from the time it was horses and singing. 
I wanted to have, I wanted to own a horse and I wanted to be a singer. Well, it was a famous show jumper I'd like to be and I wanted to be a famous singer. So I got to be a singer and I got to own horses. The fame eluded me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but you, you did um, achieve uh, somewhat a level of notoriety in, in Perth, didn't you? Oh, yes. Um, in my time, yes. Sometimes it even opened doors. As now, no one remembers me and my only claim to fame is being the mother of Timothy Nelson and C.C. Desist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, when I, when I think about um, my musical influences growing up, I sort of divide, you know, them into two categories, being dad's influence in terms of, I guess, the musical theory side of things hmm. and the appreciation for jazz and yep. the playing piano as an instrument mm. though I never held on to the theory knowledge but I got all the pop and rock and roll stuff from from you and the appreciation for writing original songs I just remember you playing loads of Beatles and Deep Purple and and I, I knew dad had written concertos uh, growing up but I remember once you pulling me aside and, and playing me some songs you'd written I think one was called was it Rupert You're a Star? Oh yeah. When when did you decide? I mean, it sounds to me that you were in love with music as a fan of music from a very young age. Oh, definitely, yeah. But at what point did you decide you wanted to be a musician? Well, always. I think the first time I saw Dusty Springfield for a start, she was the biggest influence. Um, she was just wonderful personality, loved her voice. And I thought, yeah, that's what I want to be, and that was back. Oh, heck. I don't know when that would have been, 1960 or 61. And, um, but I was always, I'd jump on my grandmother's table. I would be five years old and I'd be dancing. And I had to be in show business of some, of some kind. What was the first move you made to get into show business? Uh, oh, well, I started off singing... Uh, in a, vo a folk duo, Jan and Jay, hmm. <laughs> very imaginative, and uh, we um, we did some gigs and then I, I went for an audition at the Charles Hotel. It used to be posh back then, folks. It's not now, is it? But anyway, and uh, and I went for an audition for a, a, a talent quest and they said, no, I don't think you should be in the talent quest. I think we give you a job every fortnight doing, and I was doing cabaret Things, right. You know? So that was good experience. That's where I started off. And then I uh, went to, um, after having a string of unsuccessful jobs, because I was crap at work, really. And um, So you're where I got that from then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a job at Musgroves in the record department. Oh, always wanted to work with records. Love my records, you see. So worked there. And, um, and then I met Ken Wolf there. You know your Uncle Ken? My Uncle Ken. Which, who's who a was, good uh, night captain, possum, kookaburra, kangaroo, but that's all before your, all you people out there would remember that uh, one, Channel Ken, 10. Ken, the Kenny the Echidna Channel 10 yeah. countdown. Yeah. Sort of the, um, who was the Channel 7, the, the bear? Oh, Humphrey. The, was it Humphrey Bear? Oh, that fat would tell, Cat. Fat Cat. Yeah. People remember right. Fat Cat put telling you to go to sleep. That's right. And the Channel 10 version that's was right. yeah. my Uncle Ken, your friend Ken Walther. Yeah. Who also wrote the Dockers theme song. That's right. Which is the only connection to sport in general, I think I. Yeah, I, that's I, right. I, I, I have. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, that, that was the. I joined his band. That, that was the first band I was in, and there we were, you know. But working in uh, Musgroves, it was great. So you, so you joined a band with Ken. Yeah. And. What kind of what kind of stuff were you doing? Where, where oh, were you playing? You know, back in those days, you you, you got to remember you wouldn't dare do an original. It was all covers. All covers. Oh yeah. Is this the eighties? No, that was the uh, seventies, early seventies, and um, I don't think they really got into originals until the eighties, mm. really uh, here. So um, and and that's working in a situation where you had no fallback. You had these two slim columns, you know, and you couldn't hear yourself half the time. And 
Yeah. Oh, which reminds me, if you want to hear, can I jump ahead or did you want to keep asking me questions? Of course. We can jump ahead. <laughs> Talking about not hear yourself. We, um, the band I was in called Sweet Velvet and we worked in um, a club in Northbridge called The Latin Quarter which is rather a small room, but all the musos would go there after their gigs. And so it used to run till three o'clock. We had a few famous people turn up there. Now, you've got to bear in mind, my name's Jenny Wren with two N's. And about that time, I was unaware of it, but there was a singer called Jenny Wren with one N in England. And anyway, I'm bearing that in mind. I'm singing away there one night. And these two long-haired louts got up to have a dance right in front of me. And it looked like they were showing off in front of me and everything like that. And afterwards, the waitress said, I think they were expecting me to recognise them. And mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the waitress said, do you, do you, they, they think they know you. I said, yeah, but I don't know them. He said, she said, yeah, but you recognise who they are, don't you? And I said, no. And it was John Bonham and Robert Plant from Zeppelin. <laughs> ah, well, I wouldn't have known. I'm a Deep Purple fan, right? <laughs> Nothing to me. So that night, at uh, the same night, um, Bonham asked if he could get up and have a jam with the band. So he got on stage, lovely big sort of clumsy-looking chap. It was gorgeous. He came up, gave me the big sloppy kiss on the cheese. Hello, darling. And he got on the on the drums. Well, as soon as he started, you couldn't hear the band. You'd never heard these drums so loud. And, of course, he broke the skin on the, on the snare drum. And that was, oh, that was it. So, anyway, we got through that. And then the next night, they said they'd come up the next night and, and the whole band jammed with Uncle Ken. Great. Yeah. That's- that's right. And from memory, there was someone in that in your band who was pretty excited about... Oh, yes. You know where I'm going with this. Yes, I do. Yes. Yes, he was a friend of mine um, who... Well, a friend of mine, not really, but he... Well, he was. He used to be in our band. That's right. He yeah. was a bass player. Only, but, uh, but he was actually a guitarist and he always used to you know, be practising all day. He was very intense about his guitar playing. Now, unfortunately, um, I found out that he used to beat his girlfriend up and they're always, you know, splitting up every five minutes. Anyway, he turned up on on the night that they were coming in and he, of course, he idolised Jimmy Page and I said, I cannot believe you're here tonight. You have no idea who's going to get up on on the stage tonight. And he says, you mean, he he says, you mean Jimmy Page is going to be, oh, he was so excited. And we sat there, and while we sat there, his girlfriend came in with a look of death on her face. And she just stood there. I want to talk to you. And so he went out with her. And of course, by the time he came back, Jimmy Page had been played and gone. <laughs> <laughs> and I often wonder what happened to that pool. <laughs> oh, my God. A minor justice happening that night, yeah. perhaps. You know. <laughs> That's right. Wow. And the Latin Quarter, that was in, whereabouts was that? It was in, uh, oh, your dad would remember, what was it? Sterling Street. Mm. Um, I think it's a music publisher or something now. He used to go up the stairs, up these steep stairs. And your dad used to work there. I didn't know him then, but he these um, very steep uh, fire escape steps up the back. He used to cart his um, Hammond organ up there. Jesus, I can't even... I don't even like carrying a guitar up no. the stairs. Oh, tell you. Yeah, we've had... Anyway, but we had some interesting people up there. We had Dudley Moore. Dudley Moore was up there. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, it got to the stage where, you know, the drummer said, hey, Jen, Zsa Zsa Gabor's down the back. And I went, oh, where? <laughs> you may not know who Zsa Zsa Gabor is, but never mind. <laughs> So just going circling back to you first joining this band with Ken, mm. how 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 did you come to meet those guys, and how did it all come well, about? Well, only through Ken, and he was a music um, teacher upstairs of uh, Musgroves, mm-hmm. and 
And then he just said, and he said, look, I've written these songs, come and have a listen. And I'd get singing with him and, and harmonise, and he said, oh, would you like to join our band, come and meet the band? And that was it. Sure. So he was writing his own songs. Yes. For, uh, that's, that's... But we never used to do them on stage. We did record one, and uh, that was very minor. So was the aspiration to do any original works at all quite, you know, sort of fell by the wayside? It was. It was a case of maybe trying to record some and and I don't know what they would have done with it, try and send it overseas, but playing them, you couldn't play them on stage. Sure. Terrible. So g- give me a, an image of, of the nightlife then that you're, you're, you're working for, essentially. You're putting together what kind of songs, how are you choosing? Oh, all the latest. It was on the, on the hit parade. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just did the commercial stuff. Had, there was a great band around. That's how I discovered Deep Purple. There was a great band called Bakery around then. And uh, quite honestly, they were better. Sure. They were fantastic. In fact, that, um, you know, the song uh, Sweet Child in Time from mm. Rock, in Rock, uh, oh, the singer, amazing. Yeah, Some great bands around, but it was all... Commercial or, or a bit of funk? You of know. course. What what were crowds like then? When when I go into a nightclub Huge. now and there's, you know, generally there's a DJ. Occasionally there'll be a cover band, but it's mm. almost a novelty now. Even having a band in that scenario, unless yeah. you unless people are going to see an original band, that's yeah. different. That's more theatre like. Yeah. But the beer barn nightclub, you know, people just it's like a meat market. You know, just people going in to get sloshed and coming out. And mm. It's there is a maybe a bit of dancing, you could call it, but it seems to me just a bunch of drunk people bumping into each other and trying not try or some trying to get in fights and some trying not to get in fights. What yeah. what was the image of a crowd like then? Well, you, you've got to realise, dare I say it, I'm I'm old enough to remember. Not we didn't have discos. That came in really late seventies, mm. um, or maybe early. I can't remember, but. Late 70s, that's right, because I started in the early 70s. You had all the pubs around, and a lot of them have gone now. They've all been knocked down. But you, you, all the pubs were packed. They were back. Honestly, you, we earned a fortune in music. There was work everywhere. And you would do a pub up until 11. Then you'd pack up, and then you'd get a nightclub gig. It was fantastic, in fact. Or oh, your dad really would tell you a lot of stories there. I mean, there's a, a classic one of his when he was driving home from the driving to Pinocchio's, which is now... Um, oh, well, ne- the, it's oh, Capital. Capital, yeah. Now now they've changed the name again. I think oh. it's called Magnet House or something. Oh. It became the Globe at one point, didn't it? I wonder it? if they'll ever change that then because we went there when you one of your Wham Award nights and it hadn't changed from the day we'd been there. In really? fact, I don't <laughs> think they'd cleaned it because everything you touched was sticky or oh, was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, I digress. Where was I? Yeah, well, of course you would. You'd just pack up the gear and you'd you'd just, you know, race off and do the nightclubs. And there would have been and, quite a social element of it yeah, too. Yeah, and there's no disco. No disco. Yeah. See, it's just the band, they have a break, go on, blah, 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 and people were dancing, yet there was drinking and everything, but... Yeah, it was very social. And, of course, there were no drink-driving laws there, you know. Um, yeah, people would go out and drive after they'd had a night full of, of uh, alcohol. Um, it's pretty frightening when you think of it. Of course, there were less cars on the road, <laughs> a little bit less. I mean, I'm not that old. But anyway, you know what I mean. Yeah, and, and some of uh, Dad's often referred to a lot of the clubs he would have played back then and, and you yourself were sort of doubling as illegal gambling dens at yes, times. Yes, apparently. I didn't find that out about that until afterwards. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I imagine you'd get to the end of these two gig nights and you'd all go back somewhere for for drinks or food or there'd be, you know, some kind of uh, affiliated social side to, to all there this. There was. I very rarely um, got involved in that. I mean... If you're doing two gigs a night and you don't finish till three in the morning, <laughs> I'm ready for off, you know. Yeah. So I used to drive home. But, yeah, people would just still rock on. And Northbridge, there was always somewhere open that they could um, go and have a meal. There used to be Uncle Dominic's. They used to have chilli mussels. That mm. was the big place for musos. 
And did that, did that, did one band become multiple bands that you were singing with? I, I know you've sung with many bands over the years and even done some theatre and, and things like that. Uh, well, was, yeah, the first two bands were virtually the same band. They changed their name. Um, then I, then I did some theatre. Then I went back into the other band and I've been, yeah, I'm about four. I w- then I joined a band called um, Whitechapel and we went to England. We worked there. So what, what was that like? Oh, it was fantastic. Mind you, we found out when we got, <laughs> when we got there it was really only an audition. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you, you travelled with a band you were singing with called yeah. Whitechapel to England thinking you had a gig, a gig. meaning a residency, mm. so like a, an yeah. ongoing booking at a club. Mm. So you'd, you'd signed up to go there for a specific amount of time. I don't know if signed. I don't think we signed anything. But, I mean, you, in your mind you thought we're going to go there for how long mm. did you think you were going to be there? Don't know, but I was so excited about going back. I'd... So you had a one-way ticket? One-way ticket. One-way ticket. You went to England for a, a residency mm. gig because apparently at this point there's so few bands they could book in London, they're reaching out to Perth Yeah, bands. amazing, isn't it? That's... They thought we were great. I've, got, well, I've no doubt you were. Yeah. Nevertheless, the situation's quite yeah. odd. Um, it is very odd. But you got you and got there and you found it was. Pity the poor an member audition. of the band if <laughs> that organised all this if if we hadn't got the job. <laughs> but anyway, um, it was great and it was quite a treasured memory in the fact that it was the last of the cabaret era then because it was a it was a, a nightclub a cabaret club, beautiful looking club, and we would do a floor show. I was the I became the comair, as they say, feminine of compare. Sure. And I'd introduce everybody. Uh, I'd introduce the main artist and we, we worked with some interesting people there, you know, Lulu and it may not be a big deal to you, but back then it was great, you know. Um, a lot of people might not even know what cabaret is anymore apart from yeah, perhaps the more novelty. Yeah, it's just pure entertainment for people of all ages. Yeah. And you, you go there, you eat. And you get a show as well as dancing, you know. Mm. They had a disco there. They had a DJ. Um, but this was, was did you say you got conned into auditioning rather than just doing a gig? We thought we were doing the gig and we did a show one night and they said, you'd be pleased to know you got the job. And we were all going, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> so there you are. Yeah, that was that. So how long did you end up staying there for? Um, about two years. Two I years. left. I, be, I left before the two years were up, and I went and did. I I did. I owned my craft. I did Butlins. I did a summer season at Butlins, which, for those who don't know, that is a, a holiday camp situation. Because in England, before they had enough money to travel to Europe and go on the Costa packet holidays, you know, they um, had these holiday camps. They started off in the fifties, and they looked like a load of Prison camps, really, all in rows, you know, like that. And, but they have, you know, big swimming pools and entertainment. They have bingo halls and uh, all sorts of things. So it doesn't matter about the weather. That's what you would think about in England, you see. Um, anyway, we I got a job there doing cabaret, but it was in the bingo hall, which was a bit of a worry because... We were actually the interference. The main star of the show was the bingo. I've you see, know, see, yeah. I, I feel like that element of live performance has never really gone away. Yeah, I've often right. felt like I'm in uh, yeah. interrupting an AFL match or something. That's right. Now that you, my big beef, you never. That's one thing you never had back then was TVs on every wall, mm. and it's absolutely rude to have it on when people are performing. But they do the swines. <laughs> well, it's yeah. It's, I guess there's a lot of places that are either if they're not a dedicated live music place. It's, we're talking about venues where the live music is kind of an afterthought hmm. or a symptom oh, yeah. symptomatic of a business that has not necessarily a terrible amount of focus in what they're trying to do. So they're trying to appeal. They've got a bistro element. They've got a sports bar mm. element. They've got live music. Mm. They do comedy one night. Trying to cater to everyone, but a little bit, no matter what it know. is, though, even with the comics, I bet they've still got the telly on. Mm. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, sorry, what what period is this? You're back in England. 
That was 79. That's 79, you're back in England. Mm. And choosing music for your sets in Perth from the hit parade, as mm. you call it, from the charts, did that change dramatically when you when you get to England? Are you are you how are you fitting into the scenario there? Are you changing a bit for the audiences there? No, not really, because um, by that stage we weren't really all that far behind with English music, mm. and also we kept rehearsing and, re- and and learning all the new stuff over there. Mm. You know, um, so you know, I did the Kate Bush stuff and all that sort of thing. Did you sing Wuthering Heights? Yeah, oh, yeah. You that do was it. my big number. <laughs> you hit all those notes. I've oh, no I doubt did. you would. <laughs> yeah. So I imagine yeah. coming back would have been hard. Coming back, oh, yes, except for family and everything. Yeah, but it, yes, definitely. And, of course, Perth had changed by 79. It was harder to get a gig. Sure, uh, so a bit more oversaturated. Yeah, in fact, 1980, I think that for a while, I think for a month I was on the dole, first time and only time I've been on the dole. Uh, well, that was the thing to do in the 80s, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, and that's when I formed, we, uh, formed Birdland. That's a female trio. And we spent the year just rehearsing and then we lucky enough to get the rhythm section of a band called Mantika. And we'd work around the traps, Pink Pig, which became Deville's. Oh yeah, you know? now Badlands. Oh yeah, right. And um, and we got a, we were asked to do about twelve or I don't know how many episodes of the TV show Mantika on the ABC. Mm. And uh, Mantika were yeah. quite a, a popular oh, yeah. band, weren't ja- they? Jazz fusion, fantastic. It's interesting to think of jazz fusion being popular anywhere, let alone somewhere like Perth now. Yeah, well, it wasn't. Obviously, it was a chosen market there. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> all the fans and everything. but And all the, when it first started off, it had, you know, the best musos. But the time it got, it took a good year for the producer to organise the whole thing. And, of course, by that, that time, two of the best musos, the trumpet player and the saxophonist, had to move on. And the other ones that came in. When you say producer, do you mean was he producing the recordings or the live? Was he like the musical oh, director? The or? whole, um, the whole show. He he was, you know, dealing with the ABC. That's right. It was a television. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know if anybody can remember him, but I tell you who the producer was. A lovely man who you now know, or your parents might know, <laughs> as the cooking king, uh, Ian Palmenter. Right. And he was, oh, yeah, great chap. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, yeah, so, yeah, producing it, yeah, there's lots involved. And it was, it was done in the main theatre at Whopper. That's where it was recorded. Sure. And okay. in those days, that all it was was that theatre standing alone. Mm. And they've built around it now because you've got to go through the complex to get to it. So at this point you're, you're singing with Birdland... Mm. And with a repertoire of mostly, yeah, jazz, fusion. Yeah, Manhattan transfer type things. Yeah, named after the Birdland. song yes. or, the, yep, uh, yep. or the club. But, of course, getting people, your average person to realise that because they've never heard of any of these, they, uh, they'd they call us birdcage, birdbath, bird shit. And, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we got called all sorts of things. But anyway, that's basically what that was all about. So, Well, you continued yeah. with... Birdland through the 90s, didn't you? Oh, my goodness me. We had a 30-year celebration 10 years ago. Wow. <laughs> Good grief. Now we call ourselves Boilerland. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, that's pretty well my career in, in a nutshell, really. Well, I want to hear more about all the, the, the theatre um, bits and bobs you did as well. Oh, well, they in the 70s there was... Um, the big thing in Perth were theatre restaurants. There was a place called Dirty Dicks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I didn't work there, thankfully. Um, that was sort of medieval, you know, and they you sit down for your meal, but you're eating food similar to what they'd eat back mm-hmm. in those days and they'd put a bit of a show on and everybody's, you know, cast are dressed up in the gear. Well, I was in the sister show to that, which was... Um, 
the Old Time Music Hall, which was mm. in Stirling Street. Sure. Corner of Stirling and... I forget the other one. But anyway, uh, it used to be the hole in the wall and you played there when it was the castle. Wow. Yeah. What a venue. <laughs> the, ca- the, the castle was a special one. <laughs> you got a DVD of your performance at the end of your set. That was the... That's all you got paid? No, well, you got paid whatever the promoter could mm. work out. It was... I'm not sure what... I couldn't figure out what the the real voice of that venue was. It just seemed to exist beyond mm. beyond all odds, you know. People could put on bands there, no one would go, and the place just wouldn't close down. And then they had a bar section that was completely separate to the band room and they had television screens. Oh, no. On, no, on the outside of the venue. So if you were walking up, I think it was Newcastle, mm. corner of Newcastle and... Yeah, yeah what, what, is it Newcastle and Stirling then? Yeah, I think Newcastle and Stirling. And on the Newcastle oh. side there was, there was two or three televisions recessed into the wall and as you're walking past the venue you could see this very, you know, rough CCTV-looking uh, video angle of the band that was playing inside oh. as if, you know, you know, my old band with, in, with our baggy jeans and terrible haircuts would, would somehow entice people to come in. You know, That's like true. as if that was going to work. Um, what is it now? Anything? I think it's a florist now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, this it was a great theatre for old time musical, but the um, you couldn't get to the stage from the dressing rooms. Mm. So we'd have to go outside. So it, it made it inter- interesting in the winter. Oh, slurring the words, darling. Have had a few. <laughs> Had a couple of shampers, but uh, oh yeah, but it was it was fantastic. It was a very good experience. I was there for two years. I'm so having fan. having a gig at these places is like having a job. You know, the idea of having a gig somewhere for multiple years. Well, I mean, I was lucky. I was I was in it just before it, it started to go downhill, and so they'd have three different shows a year, which was fabulous for someone that's you know learning because. Rehearsals are the best, mm. you know. Uh, and then I left just as they cut it down to twice a year and apparently after I left it was once a year. I mean, doing the same show for a year would be terrible. Of course, yeah. Did you did you ever see the tide change with the live music scene in Perth in terms of what crowds wanted and what they expected of well, bands? It, I, and... the, the main thing that changed was disco and that was the killer of it all. I'm talking to a DJ here. Um, but it really was because those swines came in and they played their music so loud, louder than the band. So when we came on, it was your They being DJs. Yeah, everybody sure. got up to dance to the DJ. The band came on and oh, it's like we were the were they not? Music. Were they not? When, you, when I think of disco retrospectively, um, you, you think of bands. I mean, you think of disco clubs, but you think of the bands responsible for the music. You think of yeah. the tramps and the but BGs. But they took over. They, they literally took over. As in those bands did mm. or DJs playing disco? DJs playing disco. They took over. They they That helped to uh, cripple the system. You know. But did bands, and, did bands start playing disco songs in their set or was it was it the first? I mean, this, wasn't, this wouldn't be the first time that a new genre would become popular and all of these genres oh, are. Oh, yeah, you'd start, you'd play them, but you couldn't cope with the volume. I mean, we were, remember... We didn't have the big lush. But I mean, what was to stop, say, the music you were playing prior to this? Mm. What was to stop a DJ coming in and playing those records that you were covering? There was obviously a, a, a people wanting to see a band rather than mm. a DJ, but Ooh. there seems to be something specific about the, the disco movement that became, mm. you're saying, well, more in favour of the off DJs. Like that. They still wanted to come and see the band, but after a while, everybody started falling in love with the DJ. Mm. And volume was the thing of it, you know, because we didn't have those big PAs that they have now. Now it's all got too loud anyway. Sure. But, um, but the band was always softer than the, the DJ. Mm. Um, and I guess were they, I don't know if you, you cared to pay much attention to what the DJ was doing, but were they blending the records together and extending, did it have that non-stop quality rather than stopping in between songs like a band would? Uh, well, they used to speak. You don't speak, do you? 
when I DJ. Mm. No, but I mean, I guess this is more disco then morphed into house music mm. later. Yeah. And the what's expected of a DJ now and has been for, you know, 30, 40 years is um, to keep the music going nonstop and to be able to blend multiple records that are at a similar speed, mm. similar tempo, and go from one song to the other without people noticing. So don't give people a moment to breathe or leave the dance mm. floor, you know. And, I, and, and But I guess that wouldn't have been an element of DJing disco too much at the start, I mm. think, if they were just going from song to song. It's, I don't know, it's interesting to me that a new... Yeah, style of music I, I comes in. I can't give you the detail yeah. because, to be quite honest, I was just bloody annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> really? Just pour this, pour another wine. <laughs> you right for a drink? What do you got there? Water. <laughs> Cheers, Cheers, Mum. My darling. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see um, human beings again. Absolutely. This is the first, this is the seventh podcast and it's the first one in person with another human where I'm not Is looking. it really? Yeah. Oh, I like to break records or whatever <laughs> it is. I like to be a first. I think everyone's I still... I only. <laughs> everyone's still slowly getting used to na- or navigating the gatherings aspect, you know, how... Yes. Can, it's, know. it's very hard not to hug one another though. It's very difficult. Yeah. You've once again handed me, this would be the 30th now, um, Nelson family uh, birthday card, which Mm. is, you know, a tradition where you you create, you sort of Photoshop together Mm. uh, a patchwork of memories of the year prior. So I'm I'm looking at my... Yeah, well, it all started quite accidentally, actually. Um, on, On your first birthday, your dad was doing a gig and it was the night before your birthday and I thought, I never bought him a birthday card what am I going to do so I raced down to his Michael's room and got a piece of manuscript turned it into a card and got pictures of you through the year and stuck them on there so we're all very primitive at at the beginning and I wrote we each write every year what what has happened through the year and and um, we continued that with uh, your sister Cece Yes. And, uh, <laughs> well, the, I mean the 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 you know the photoshopping of of various. Yeah, well, they got very more sophisticated with the computer. But you've they? always been quite nifty with gadgets and and technology. You've always been oh, the tech head in yes, the family. Yes, sod the house. I'm on about hygiene, but my house is the most untidiest you've ever come across. I'd rather That's be at true. the computer doing this sort of useless I, thing. I, th- I mean, it, my I think my love of like film and the aspect of recording music and, and mm. video, video editing. Yeah, it's all yeah. from, from you. You were always, ah, in, yeah, yeah. always, yeah. Uh, you, you were the one with the camera filming everything. Well, every... That's right, with all your photos. There's millions of photos with you and your dad and you might think, well, where was my mother? <laughs> She's behind the camera. Well, you, you're the original Instagram, you know, yeah. the, the need to document everything. Oh, yes, everything's documented. I mean, pity you you and Catherine when I plop my, was it plop our clogs? What? Uh, well, you know, kick the bucket. Um, <laughs> you've got all this stuff, crap, I suppose you could call it, that you've got to sort through. Oh, I've got so much footage. I've got so many slides. Do you remember slides, darling? No, you wouldn't. It was before all it's your... the old Super 8 yes. footage you have, don't you? From... Oh, I've got oh, talk archaic stuff. I've got black and white photos. I've got a whole room full of them mm. and... Your, your father won't walk in there because it's just unbelievable. But it's got everything and everything needs to be in there. <laughs> Including a little cabinet of um, 60s 45s, which yep. we shan't not open for fear it will lose the smell of the 60s, as you once said. Oh, yes, my little, yeah, that's right, the little record box. What my uncle made me that. Auntie Anne's father made that. Ah. Yeah, and when you open up, you've still got that... A bit musty, but it's got the smell of. Well, the mustiness is the smell, isn't it? <laughs> and do you know when we emigrated out here, we arrived at Fremantle um, Port, and we went through customs. They didn't want to look at anything, but they looked at each side of every record in that cabinet. Wow, why is that? Who knows? Were there any records that were banned at the time you could think of? I don't know. If there were, I didn't have them. <laughs> 
The only saucy one I ever bought was the Trogs. I can't control myself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I suppose yeah. it, I, I don't recall too much racy material around no, the house growing no, up. Although no. I do remember, um, you know, as 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 was part of the. Beatles brainwashing that went on in my growing up. Was I the, did never brainwash you. No, well, that was a bad way to put it. I was I was entranced by them, you know, on my own. I could embarrass you and tell you that, tell them that whole story what? how you got to know the Beatles. But how did I get to know the Beatles? Because your father made me listen to classical music while I was expecting you and Catherine. Right. And you went to bed to classical music, went to sleep to that, and. Uh, not long after Catherine was born, your dad wasn't around and I thought, sod this, oh, I need to listen to some Beatles. So I put Beatles for sale on and you just loved it and I had to keep playing it for you and soon you learnt how to keep turning the CD back, playing it. And Timothy was always a boy that always needed to be, he was only two years old, but he, he needed to be entertained or it was in getting into trouble. So <laughs> if ever he was a bit noisy, I just put the Beatles on and it was, oh, he just walked past me. It's like somebody had zapped him and he'd walk past me in this galley kitchen like a, a robot or a zombie. Yeah, I said zombie. And off you go. <laughs> I didn't hear a peep out of him. And then I'd go into the room and you're sat there looking up at the speakers and I'd say, are you all right, Timothy? And you'd say... What's that sound? And it would be the guitar. And you learnt all the sounds of the instruments. And then, then you'd say, well, who's that singing? And I'd say, that's Paul. And, you know, it all came, it was rather organic, you know, because no one that knows me would believe that. They all think I've brainwashed you, and I didn't. No, I think people would believe that. <laughs> yeah. My, my favourite records still... Uh, I think are ones where you kind of can differentiate the the elements, the guitars, the drums, mm. who's singing yeah. what and where, whether it's the Beatles or a band like The Strokes, you know, just good bands where you can kind of you could you could shuffle over to the left hand speaker for the for the whole time and just listen to that one guitar mm. player. And I always felt like a great band is like a great sitcom. You know, mm. they've got the four or five, you know, the cast of characters. And you're mm. invested in each character, you yeah. know. And there was, I mean, the and 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 obviously the Beatles were when they first came out were uh, apart from great songs and their their, their charisma and their, their personalities were were a big part of what made them mm. stars and their sense of humor and mm. on stage and that comes across a lot when I see you perform. You know, your sense of humor and mm. I think um, the way you talk to an audience and and try and entertain on in other levels mm. than just musical. I mean, my entire brain, machine, whatever kicks in when something goes wrong on stage and I have to kill time and talk mm. to the audience would, would all come from watching you growing up and going to your shows. E lad untouched. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did you have to develop a kind of way of talking to a crowd from the moment you first got up there? Did you, was it hard to get comfortable? With an audience? Oh, that's right. That's why the humour comes in because it always covers embarrassment or shyness, doesn't it, mm. really? That's me. I can't help it. Do you remember a moment where you felt, oh, I, you know, that, that first time you, you managed to charm an audience or get a reaction out of people when you thought that worked? Oh, well, it is if you get their attention. Um, as, as you're always saying, trying to get their attention is one thing. Mm. But when you've got them, there's nothing more magical. Mm. It's wonderful. It's gorgeous. But I, I do suffer from uh, stage fright. Not in bands when you're doing pub gigs or anything, but theatre. And um, I mean, the band, one of the bands I was in, we had to, we were at a theatre, it was some special thing, and I was so nervous. My mouth dried. And I'm doing this wonderful ballad, and my lip was, mouth was so dry, the lip got caught up near the gums. And I'm singing <laughs> and I had to wait for the instrumental to turn around and, you know, <laughs> lubricate the mouth. It's, it's terrible. So and, and so you feel like you've got to say something a bit humorous. Of course. Yeah, and I, I guess when you say you get more nervous with the theatre, there's mm. 
you can't just improvise when something goes wrong in theatre, can you? Well, you can, but you can't turn to the audience and really address that something's going wrong. Oh, not when it's a proper theatre show, and that's right, because you're dealing with scripted material versus you just... that's nervous. I loved it, but what what bit of acting I've done, I've loved it, but it's, oh, die a thousand deaths. Mm. But you've enjoyed a little bit of community theatre in recent Mm. times, haven't you? Yeah, but, you know, learning the lines and goodness knows what other. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you've done a couple of plays, plays recently, haven't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, done that. Oh, another thing I did, I was the Jingle Queen yes, for many you were. years. Yeah. And that's another thing through Ken, Ken yeah, Walther. Yeah, doing gig, session work, not just jingles, but, you know, doing back vocal sessions and everything. Loved it. I absolutely adored it. Whenever I've recorded a song for me, oh, it's terrible, can't do it. But doing jingles, all my best work were the jingles. And uh, you could, I sometimes would be using my natural voice or I'd have to put a voice on. It was like acting, you know, and do them in different, you know, a better night's sleep, a better night's sleep with choice. <laughs> you know, changing your voices is, brings out the actor in me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, you know, it was good. But wow, good money. Mm. That was where the money was. And the demand for a jingle being written for an ad, I don't know, has it changed much since then? Well, I haven't done anything for a long time. Um, It's different now because back then everything was local. Um, When I say local, apart from really local, you used to get Eastern State ads as well, but now apparently international, All, all the ads come on. So if you're, you're very lucky if you can get jingles, mm. or you know, get you know, for jingle writers to be assigned a job, really. I recently did a jingle for, did uh, you? yeah, for a um, it was a, a charity, um, funnily enough, and they wanted, they hit me up and they said, could you do like a nineties, you know, sing along style ad, you know, similar to like, a, and they mentioned Kenny Walther, really, yeah. Yeah, I was like, "Well, oh, he's my godfather." I think. <laughs> so oh, I must I tell get, him that. Yeah, so in in a sense, I guess I've paid tribute to him by undercutting his work. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, they 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 sort of said they want this fun sing along like an old VB ad or something, and mm. I was like, "Well, I've grown. I grew up, you know, listening to that, that kind stuff, of thing." Yeah. You know, so it was, it was quite fun. Yeah, quite fun to do. But we must pack it in because... Um, I think so too. You'll be bored to tears. Mind you, I think you'll have a lot on the editing board. No, I mean um, Marcia's the designated driver and so she's oh. probably w- waiting desperately to, to get to me packed home. down and out of here. Yes. So I'll pack down these microphones. And, I will uh, finish this wine. Yes, yes. And um, Once again, darling, it's been lovely to be with you all out there in radio land. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Mum, <laughs> this has been probably the most enjoyable way. I could think of spending my 30th birthday sitting here talking with you and Thank having you. Thank you, because this is a lovely way for me to spend Mother's Day. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, and happy birthday to you. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Well, Mum, thanks very much. Love you. See you later. Love you too. Bye-bye. take a second. There you have it. That's my mum, Jenny Wren. Um, thanks again for tuning in to the Your House podcast. Okay, here we go. We've got some new music from Indoor Fins. This is a brand new song called Energy. It's going to be out on all streaming services Friday, May 15th, and the EP Amber Arcade, which it is from, is going to be coming out later in the year. So until next week, I know you're not going anywhere. Stay safe. Stay alive. <laughs>
mansion on the street No university could ever teach You're gonna have to shower me with praise Cause I'm feeling so tender these days That's why I took that energy Hey!